A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Have it to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme, John Paul taking your calls at 0818 103 103. Texts and WhatsApps are available at 0862 103 103. Now, as we've been hearing on the news all morning, Gardaí are to carry out a full review of the murder of Sophie Tuscan de Plantier. The Garda Serious Crime Review Team will conduct this review and then they'll provide recommendations to the local investigation team. The French filmmaker was, of course, killed near Skull in West Cork in December of 1996. Irish independent journalist Ralph Regal has been covering this uh, story since the start and uh, he joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Ralph. Good morning, Patricia. And you're welcome to the programme. Was this review expected? Uh, Yes, it was. I suppose the timing of it might have been a little bit of a surprise yesterday. It did kind of come out of the blue, Um, but we'd been waiting for this for for quite a period of time. I mean, a couple of things. First of all, I mean, Ian Bailey had written early last year um, to the Garda Commissioner, Drew Harris. He had written to the Taoiseach and he had written to the Minister for Justice looking for this review. His position is that any such review will exonerate him once and for all. But the French family of Sophie Toscan de Plantier had also indicated that they were in favour of anything which might progress the Garda investigation and in particular the case file. And the reason why I think the pressure had cranked up for a cold case review was that in the wake of, I suppose, the 12 months before the 25th anniversary of Sophie's murder, which was December the 23rd last year, she, of course, she was she was found murdered uh, on the laneway leading to her holiday home at Tourmore outside Skull on December the 23rd, 1996. In the 12 months before the 25th anniversary, there had been quite a substantial amount of publicity and surrounding the, the anniversary. You had two major documentaries, you had a, a podcast which was released a little bit before that and you had I think two or three books that had been published on it and in, in given that blitz of publicity there was quite a number of people had come forward, they had contacted Gardaí, there was offers of information. A lot of it I'm told is very well intentioned but my sources are saying they're not quite sure whether it's going to change things in terms of the case file. But what's going to happen now is now that the decision has been made, the cold case review team will go back and look at the original Garda file. It extends to somewhere between 4,000 and 5,000 pages. They will look at all of the exhibits. They will look at all of the evidence and particularly any items that could benefit from modern the application of modern technology. There have been significant advances in terms of DNA sampling, various different
different types of techniques have been developed and will, would any of those be of use when applied to some of the materials that were seized from the scene. And and all, the, all the original exhibits, are they all, do the Gardaí still have all of those? They have They have the majority of them, yes. Okay. Now, there have been some particular things that, that have gone missing, but for the most part, they have virtually all of the crucial um, exhibits. Now, th- there are issues in terms of, I suppose, the background in that we find ourselves in some ways in uncharted waters in that, first of all, the French have been given access to the Garda file. And that so whether, if this file eventually does go back to the Director of Public Prosecutions for another review, we have never had a scenario where a case file has gone to the DPP where it's already been examined by um, police in a different jurisdiction. Secondly, the DPP will never have considered a case file where a decision had already been made that was made in 2000, 2001, not to sanction a prosecution, and then revisit that case file and that decision where a prosecution had already been taken in another jurisdiction. And of course, you must remember that in May 2019, the French did take a prosecution against uh, Ian Bailey. Now, he has always maintained his innocence in relation to this matter. He said that that prosecution in Paris was a show trial and a travesty of justice. But the French took that prosecution and they convicted him in relation to the circumstances of the death of Sophie Toscan de Plantier. They've made multiple attempts to have him extradited to France. And on three separate occasions, the Irish courts have refused to extradite Mr. Bailey to France. So it, it really is, we are in completely uncharted waters in terms of where it goes next. I mean, certainly... But, I but, hope- but that's not to say that this review won't lead to a decision to prosecute. Oh, absolutely not. I mean, certainly, I, I can imagine if this decision was made by an assistant commissioner who had conducted, it wasn't so much a review as what they called a scoping exercise, whereas he looked at the new material, he looked back at the original file, he looked at the advances in tech, forensic technology, DNA technology, and the decision was made that there, cert, there is the basis for a full cold case review. So they will go back over literally everything in the file. They will examine timelines. They will examine statements. They will examine forensics. And then they will consider all of the new material and then compare that to the original case file with the hope that it might push matters on sufficiently that the case file can be submitted back to the Director of Public Prosecutions and that things might change in that the DPP feels that there is no sufficient material to warrant a charge or a prosecution. But again, we simply don't know that. And it, it, in some cases, it's as clear as muck because there are so many developments, so many controversies, so many issues over the years. Um, I mean, we're not just talking about the French in terms of this, the French prosecution. I mean, we had a very high profile libel case, which we covered actually on this programme. Yeah. Hard to believe that's almost 20 years ago. That was 2003. So it'll be 20 years next year when that libel case was taken by Mr. Bailey against eight Irish and British newspapers. We had um, a high court action where Mr. Bailey sued the state for wrongful arrest. Significant elements of what was in the Garda case file emerged during that civil case. And there was a complaint to the Garda Síochána Ombudsman Commission that led to a significant review, not only of the case file, but the handling of the entire investigation. So there has been, normally what happens with a Garda case file is there's very little in the public domain, whereas in, in this case, virtually everything is in the public domain. 
All right. Uh, Tim has a, has a question for you, Ralph. And just to anyone who's got uh, children with small ears, maybe maybe you might want to block them for a moment. Um, Tim wants to know the, the bloody rock and the concrete block that was used as, as the weapon to murder Sophie Tuscan de Plantier. Are they still in the possession of the, the Gardaí and would they hold key DNA evidence that the test material wouldn't have been there for back in 1996? Yeah, that's a very, very good question. And the answer is yes. And that's going to be very much front and centre, I think, of these new forensic tests. Um, at, at the time, DNA testing was available, but it was only available in fairly rudimentary and sampling basis from the surface of the rock. Whereas what has happened now is that there's been significant um, advances in terms of the microscopic analysis of DNA traces. And that's one of the things that the Guardi are going to look at in terms of examining the material that was taken from the scene in terms of can it deliver any type of forensic clue as to the identity of the killer. It would be certainly be a very interesting side of, of this uh, for sure. Uh, we've heard from uh, Ian Bailey uh, already he, who's you know, repeatedly protested his innocence. He's welcoming this. He's hoping it will prove his innocence for once and for all. Has there been reaction from Sophie's family uh, since the news broke yesterday, Ralph? Um, we're, we're waiting for a formal statement, but, but privately they very much are welcoming any development which would see the original Garda case file revisited with the hope to possibly justifying the prosecution. I mean, the French have been quite frustrated. I mean, it's very difficult for the family because they've been. it'll be 26 years in December since Sophie was brutally murdered. And in within the Irish jurisdiction, there has never been a charge, let alone anyone being held to account for this most awful of, of crimes. And they have always held out the hope that there would be some development, that someone would come forward with a crucial piece of information or that something might discover, be discovered that would change um, the position because what had happened was that the Garda case file was submitted to the DPP. The DPP sent it back to the Garda for clarification on certain issues and between 2000 and 2001 it was very carefully considered and the DPP came to the decision that there was not sufficient material uh, to warrant any prosecution. Okay, and any any idea on a timeline on how long this review will take? No, it's it's pretty much Patricia. How long is a piece of string? Yeah, and yeah. this will take as long as it takes. Um, I know certainly. I I don't anticipate that the Guardi will rush this. They will take their time. They will try and get it right. And you must bear in mind where we're talking about a twenty six, almost a twenty six year time period. We're talking a case file that extends to between four thousand and five thousand pages. You're talking about a significant number of exhibits. And it's all complicated by the fact as well, let's not lose sight of the fact that not only are a number of the original witnesses in the Garda file now deceased, but a number of the original investigating Gardaí are also deceased as well, which is another complicating factor for the officers that are now going to be looking at this. Okay, Listen, Ralph, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for that. And thanks for joining us this morning. Good morning to you. That is uh, Ralph Regal of the Irish Independent. And of course, uh, Ralph wrote an excellent book about the tragic murder of Sophie Tuscondeplantier called uh, Dream of Death. Jenny, who said she was living at the time in West Cork when Sophie Tuscondeplantier was uh, murdered. And she said because of that, it's a case that she will never, ever forget. And she would love to see somebody finally prosecuted for her murder because it would bring some closure to the family. But another another listener uh, makes the point that surely the, the cold 
case, the Gardaí involved in the cold case review must have some degree of optimism about the prospect of a successful outcome because at the end of the day, this is in the first review. I think it's the third review of the case uh, to date. And of course, there has been, as Ralph outlined, such huge uh, advances in DNA since this murder happened in 1996. And Liam uh, also agrees that a fresh pair of eyes might be what is needed for this uh, case. And it also might be the best outcome for all concerned. We will just have to wait and see and uh, bring you anything on this case as it uh, breaks. But once again, our thanks to uh, Ralph Regal. He's a man who knows so much about this particular story. 0818 103 103. And a listener by text says, Hi, Hi Patricia. Yesterday a horse was loose on the Cork Road around 4pm and it caused a major traffic jam. I'm trying to find out who was the amazing young man that managed to catch the horse and actually put it into a field. It was class to watch him. So does anybody to know who the young man was who managed to catch a horse that was running wild it sounds on the Cork Road about four o'clock yesterday if anybody knows the name of that gentleman it would be nice to actually call him out publicly and to say thank you to him for sorting out that situation because a horse running loose like that can can do a huge amount of uh, damage and uh, can cause horrific absolutely horrific uh, um, injuries to people if he gets involved with an accident between him and a car. Thank you for your text to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance, cmig.ie. Last Friday's annual general meeting of Cork County Council, Independent Councillor Danny Collins was elected as the new mayor of the County of Cork for the next 12 months. And I'm delighted to say the new mayor. Councillor Danny Collins joins me. Good morning to you, Danny. Good morning, Patricia. Good morning to all your listeners. And congratulations uh, to you. Do you see this as a huge honour to be the mayor for the next 12 months? It's a massive honour to me, to be honest. Um, look, I, I, I'd like to thank um, my proposer and second mayor, Councillor Dixon Hurley and, and Councillor Seamus McGrath, but, but plus the other 52 um, councillors who, um, what you call it, didn't object and and I was um, elected to my seat. So, look, it's an honour for me. And to be, be honest, it's also an honour for the people. Of, um, it's an honour for me to be representing people of Cork County. And I, I dedicate it to my family and plus the people of West Cork who put me to County Hall, who, who elected me back in 2019. And I dedicate it to them as well. Yeah, because I, I assume it's, is it the goal of every councillor to one day be mayor? I suppose it is. Much of it looks. Um, as you know, we have a pact in, in as we call it, kind of with Fianna Fáil and the Independents and Labour. We, what you call it, we, the Fianna Fáil gets it three times for the, um, in this five year term, and the Independent Group gets it two, twice. And it went to a vote in the Independent Group. There was, I think, three of us at the time were interested in getting this. And I was one at the time that was picked. And um, Mary Lynn Foley, who was mayor two years ago, was the, the other um, Independent. Yeah, and, and, and a great mayor. And of course, you're, you're, you're following uh, big shoes to follow in the very successful year that Councillor Gillian Coughlin has just put behind her. Gillian had a very successful year. And I must say, she really represented Cork County, uh, both here in, the country, here in Ireland and, and all over the world. 
with um, great dignity and I, I congratulate her on that. And is that what you're most looking forward to, that actually, you know, getting out there, standing out in front and representing this wonderful county of ours? Yes, Patrick, I'll look, my, my main aim, be, be quite honest, is to get out there and, um, and meet with different voluntary organisations. Like, you know, these um, voluntary organisations, a lot of them have, have struggled to come back since COVID. What are the ones that have come back, like come back fighting and um, are doing great work, you know, whether they're tidy town groups or village, tidy town or village groups or festival committees or tourism groups or sporting organisations. You know, a lot of them have, I, like, I, I see it myself, I'm chairman of the Bantry Agricultural Show. And like at first, the appetite was kind of, you know, you had to put in a bit of drive and show, look, this can this can work. And like even last night, we had a meeting here in Bantry for our show. We had 32 members at it. Like, so look, um, these organizations, I want to get out there and recognize the work they do and um, tell, like, let them know the Cork County Council are there to support them and do the best for them and, and advise them on any, any issues they have. And like, that's that's one of my my um, main aims. Okay. Anyway. Yeah, and really those community groups that you, you speak about. I mean, they they're the backbone of of this county, of this country, because they they're all they're all over. It, they're certainly all over Cork, but they're they're all over the country. They really are the backbone, aren't they? Yeah. Yes. What you got? I don't want to single out any like, but like you go to any town, village throughout Cork County, and you tidy town yeah. groups there, like and village groups, like the work they do on a voluntary, you know capacity is unreal like and um like you know they have to be recognized and that's my intention for the coming year well done well done what do you see as the greatest challenges facing cork county council for the next 12 months well basically like you know um there was a, a report done there an independent report by the uh island research observatory in Maynooth back in may 2021 and this showed the cork county council were not getting their proper funding you know, the funding that, what you call it, like you have to take into account, like Cork County Council is the largest um, council in the, in the country. Like, and like, um, like it came out and showed that we weren't getting our funding for whether it was um, CLAR funding or coastal funding, roads maintenance, like rural regeneration fund. Like we are not getting our fair, fair buck, as I say, a fair deal. Like, and, like I want to meet with the Taoiseach and I want to meet with our leading um our government representatives and discuss this with them because this like this report was done and it really showed at the time like you know we weren't getting our fair buck so like i want to be with, with, with the the relevant ministers and the teacher and and discuss this with them and say look we need we do need funding like you know some parts of our country like we um our county but um our roads are, are in terrible conditions and like you know it's it's all down to funding yeah, so look, and one, I one think one of the issues I, I want I want to um, address, but like we have other issues which I know Cork County Council can't really address. Like the cost of living has gone so high at the moment, whether it's food or fuel or electricity, like that's like has to be highlighted and kept highlighted, high, keep highlighting it. And like we we have this, um, <coughs> one of the councillors called a standing um, standing uh, suspension of standing orders last Monday to discuss fuel prices for um, fishing, um, fishing boats, like, you know, they're, they're struggling, the fishermen out there, and plus the farmers, farm contractors, and, like, we must keep on highlighting this to um, our government, and some 
bit of funding must be uh, made for, for these people. Until something is done, you're certainly, I think you've almost answered, but we'll agree with uh, Tim in Vanden who says, could you please ask our, our new mayor, will he be able to tackle the funding issue to Cork County Council when it comes to our road uh, network? Uh, our new mayor has to agree that the road network, particularly in West Cork, is appalling many tourists. Tim in Vanden is meeting um, to feel like that when they come to Cork, it's like a third world uh, country or Ireland of the 60s. The roads are so poor and so narrow and in such bad conditions in some areas. I mean, I, I take it you 100% agree? Yeah, but I, I touched on it there, like, because I'm quite honest, like, and, and even that aero report, the all research observatory report, which is a minute, that touched on our road maintenance that we were not getting, like, um, the, the, the fair share of, of the money. Like, you know, when you take it, take it into account, like, um, it's the size of, um, so we should just take uh, this, uh, the population of South Cork. Like that, that's that's the same. That's about one hundred fifty-one thousand. Maybe it's more now with the new census um, numbers. But that's a, that's the same population of the whole size of County Kerry. So yeah. like, you know what I mean. So like, if you take that into account, like, but so look, something has to be I done. To, I, I want to discuss with our government, and we'll see how we get get on with them after that. Okay, and I I know when you in your as part of your acceptance speech, you're very much uh, dedicated to this taking on the mayor's chain uh, to to your parents, and you certainly come from a line of hard workers. I, I didn't realize this. Your dad worked in Drina Co-op for forty eight years, and he never missed a day at work. I tell you that that is a true story. What you call he started, as you always say, he started with them collecting eggs around around West Cork and um, different areas. And then he um, went on working the, the branch in Lower Town. And he became um, branch manager. And what you call it, he, that's 48 years. I, I could tell you the story. Like, I remember when my brother was getting married once in, in England. And he didn't leave work that evening until 4 o'clock. <laughs> drove the car <laughs> to get the plane over. <clears throat> get the plane over. And on Sunday evening, uh, Sunday morning, all he was worried about was getting the plane back that, that evening, be back at work Monday morning. And like, God, you know, they just, were, he couldn't yeah. miss it. They were, and they, they were an incredible uh, generation because to have never missed a day's work, there had to be days where he wasn't feeling well, but he still got up and still went out to work. Still got up and still yeah. got up and, and milked, milked his few cattle beforehand and, and took the milk with him as well to the creamery, like with like um, as well, my mother was a great, what you call it, great housewife, and plus she was in, involved in different voluntary organisations, and she used to look after the, lo- lo- the local church in Lower Town. Like, but um, but like they they worked together and they loved each other, and what you call it, they got on great, and what you call it, like we used to enjoy our, our we say our Saturday and Sunday spins. We'd say we'd go to Bantry for maybe our skibbereen for shopping our skull, like, and you know, and then on a Sunday we we go for a spin and maybe, you know picnics and whatnot like nice simple things yeah they were they were simple times but they were good times as well danny for sure listen once again congratulations to you and uh, congratulations your deputy mayor is uh councillor deirdre Deirdre o'brien congratulations to deirdre as well uh we was during the year but have a great year and thank you for joining us this morning no bother. Good morning, dear. Bye bye. That is the new mayor of uh, Cork County for the next 12 months, West Cork Independent Councillor Danny Collins. 0818. 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls this morning. Text WhatsApp's up and running 0862 
103. Cork today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. By the way, when I was talking with the, the new mayor of Cork County, Danny Collins, uh, there was Dermot. Uh, I didn't get around to Dermot's comment when Danny was on, but Dermot wants to raise the issue of, well, he wants to raise the issue of littering uh, with the the new mayor. But let me give out Danny's point as a comment. Uh, he wants to know, when is something going to be done about the litter of cigarette butts? He re- he reckons 50% of litter is our cigarette butts dotted all over our roads and on our streets. And he said just this morning, he witnessed somebody putting out a cigarette butt on the ground and when he, he was brave enough to say to the person that you're littering, you should really, you know, pick that up and dispose of it properly. He said he got abuse from the person saying, are you the police? And somebody had a right old go at him. And I know litter, cigarette butts as litter, does come up in every single survey that's ever done on littering, be it with the Irish Business Against Litter, certainly tidy towns uh, groups always bemoan the fact that they can lose points when the judges come to town to do their judging and there could be an area where there's a lot of uh, cigarette butt litter and of course that problem increased when we did the ban on smoking great ban you know the outside to get people stop smoking inside I mean everybody accepts that that was one of the greatest things that Micheál Martin at the time as health minister ever introduced into this country but then of course it forced all the smokers to go outside the door of a bar or business wherever it was and of course the problem then is if you don't have enough receptacles to put the cigarette butts what do people do they just dump it on the ground instead what the solution is Dermot I don't know but you are correct in identifying it it certainly is an issue 0818 103 103 you can text or whatsapp to 0862 103 103 now with life slowly getting back to normal after two years of the pandemic and the summer season upon us you wouldn't think so looking out the window at the moment but anyway many outdoor dining areas have started to reopen so with that in mind the Clonakilty Access Group is appealing to all businesses to please ensure that they do not impede people's rights to use the footpaths. Evie Nevin is Vice Chair of the Clonakilty Access Group and she joins me. Good morning to you Evie. Morning, Patricia. You, can I just, before we start, can I yeah. just want it's Evie, not Evie. Evie, my apologies, and sure, I <laughs> well, okay, I well know it's Evie. Sorry. Um, you're, you, you, now you're you're not saying no to outdoor dining furniture, no, but just make sure that there's space for people with mobility issues to pass. That's the message, isn't it? Absolutely. So um, <clears throat> we had a as the active group, myself and the PRO Kionato, um Osidawan had a meeting with the Gardaí in the last few months to talk about people using uh, the blue spaces when they didn't have a badge. We also met with the council to talk about the various issues that are going on in our town. And unfortunately, now the, the Gardaí, we see them about all the time now checking um, blue space to make sure people have badges and it's great and we just give them a call if there's any issues and they're straight down. They've been very, very good. Um, but unfortunately, um, the last few weeks, things have deteriorated in town in terms of furniture being put out. Now, um, a lot of people may not know, but uh, businesses who have street furniture have to have a license obtained by the, from the council. And um, they, there's kind of terms and conditions with this license. And so, for example, um, tables and chairs need to leave 
a, a minimum of two metres of a footpath to allow um, you know, people in wheelchairs, to allow parents of buggies or, or um, caregivers um, who are pushing people in wheelchairs and, and using buggies, and etc. And, and for the visually impaired as well, also. Um, so that's one thing. Then, uh, you know, this time of year, flower baskets come out. And uh, unfortunately, uh, we do have an issue in town where people are actually being physically injured because flower baskets are being, um, you know, they're they're being hung too low. Uh, we've had a couple of visually impaired people being injured, like walking straight into them. Uh, you know, things like refuse bins being left out on the, the footpath, uh, sandwich boards. So this time of year can actually be quite hellish for people with disabilities. Uh, you know, we feel very isolated um, because, you know, we can't get her. It's yeah, more you, yeah, going to town and our yeah, money is as good as anyone else. Yeah, you but know, you so. you can very much speak from experience here because you're, yeah. wheel, you're, you're a, a, a wheelchair uh, user. So yeah. just so you're heading downtown uh, and this could be anywhere. It's, I mean, I know you're talking about Clonakilty, but this could be anywhere. And you're yeah. you're you're trying to be as independent as possible. Mm-hmm. And so what happens if you come across tables and chairs that are in your way? Do you have to ask somebody to move? You know, t- talk yeah. to me about a situation like that. So um, a lot of the time it's um, I'm, I'm unfortunately when I'm out and about, I'm rarely on my own because <laughs> Um, you know, a lot of like, I mean, this this is an issue in in, in cities as well, like Dublin. But uh, so it's not just a kind of a small town issue. Um, but obviously, living in a smaller town where the footpaths are now were and the tourist town as well, which is it's fantastic. It's a tourist town and it's, it's what, um, and it's lovely to see Clon so lively and everything. But on a day to day basis, then it's like, okay, I'm gonna have to get someone to move this for me. Okay, there's a bin in the way, and um, I'm gonna have to get someone to move that. Sometimes, uh, if I'm on, if I am on my own and there's something in the way, I'm going, then I'm going to have to find um, somewhere to go off the footpath and cross the road um, to avoid those obstacles. And a lot of time, it's hard to actually find a dip in the footpath to to cross the road as well. That's another issue. And you shouldn't um, have to. No, and I shouldn't have to. Absolutely, that's that's exactly what we're saying. Um, you know. It's, when when I remember when I was running for election um, when I, and I was canvassing and I never forget the amount of households I talked to who had people with disabilities that say somebody who had had a, a stroke and I'd speak to their carer and they'd say we completely avoid town altogether wow. because there is no play, the, the disabled bathrooms are, are far and few between that are big enough and not just someone sticking a handrail on uh, next to a toilet and calling it disability friendly. Uh, you know, it's that people are inside and they're isolated. Like I was in Tenerife earlier this year, um, and where we were, it was all flat ground, and you wouldn't believe the amount of uh, people using scooters and and wheelchairs around the place. And everybody was like, "Wow, there's so many more people here with, uh, using mobility aids." And it's like, it's not that there's more; it's just they can actually get around and go out and be independent. Whereas people here in Ireland, a lot of the time. They're just stuck inside because it's not worth the hassle. And you get like, there's been so many times where I've got genuinely upset. Um, like I'll never forget, myself and my daughter were going home from the St. Patrick's Day parade this year. And uh, as I was going home, somebody had parked on the footpath on the way up to the house. And so <laughs> I had to, tr- with my, my seven-year-old, like um, I had to take her with me and to try and cross the road. Now, because where that car was parked, I couldn't see the road either. 
so I had to like basically you know try and squeeze out as far as I could to put my head around the car um, and I very nearly got hit um, by that's, a car that's from people parking on footpaths yeah it is terrifying and I'll never forget I was I was really shocked by it and I and I was on the way home with my daughter and like she's seven now and she said she said mommy I'm I'm so upset and I said why she was because I, I never realised how difficult it was for you in the wheelchair and how how um, selfish people can be and I was like my seven year old understands this you know why can't so many adults uh, understand this yeah, as well yeah, you know that and of course it also population and it also causes this is this one it's a very acute issue for people with disabilities Anybody pushing a pram or a buggy ends up mm-hmm. with the very same problems. The amount of friends that I have that had children over the last couple of years that have come to me and said, I did not realise how much of a struggle it was to get around town for you. And, I, and they've been very vocal now uh, on terms about disability issues and things like that um, because they see it. Um, for themselves now as well and um, unfortunately it does take for people to real until they're actually affected and for them to realise and, and that's the thing about disability it can happen to anyone at any time you know it doesn't discriminate because of your age or your gender or anything like that it can just happen through like an accident or in my mm-hmm. case you know a, a genetic thing uh, that reared its ugly head uh, in my teen years and, and during pregnancy and things like that that uh, reduce my mobility it can happen to anyone and so it's it's in the best interest of everybody in our society that we create universal design that we have um streetscapes that are truly accessible um because like i said it can happen to anyone yeah, well said. if, if it well does said. happen to anyone then it should be a seamless transition as possible to go from being you know fully able-bodied to having to use the mobility aid um, so, like I said, it's in the best interest of everybody. You mentioned Blue Badge Parking at the start. Yeah. A listener says Blue Badge Parking becomes more difficult as we get a lot of tourists from the UK, Wales yes. and Scotland. And we welcome these tourists. Uh, but Absolutely. some of them have blue badges, so they're using the limited number of spaces yeah, that are exactly in town. But locals really just don't get it. They often ba- partially park on the spaces, which they mm-hmm. think, oh, that's OK, no problem there. But it often prevents access to boots or rolling wheelchairs etc the outdoor eating takes up more parking spaces which is making things even harder I've now yeah. I now avoid town for the summer because with three disabled people in my house it becomes impossible and that shouldn't be the case that, no it's not and it's, it's and it, it, it is really you feel really othered you feel isolated uh, you feel like does anybody care is anybody listening and it and when like, chronic guilty is like I'm originally from Ballancolic um, and when we moved to Clannock Guilty when I was 17, and this is pre-me um, losing kind of like a bit of my in my mobility, um, I, felt, I fell in love with the place and um, I absolutely adore Clannock Guilty. Um, you know, it, it, it's where uh, my ancestors come from and everything like that. But it's just, it's really hard sometimes to enjoy living here when uh, you kind of feel like, does anybody care? that I can't get around town, that I can't get into the shop, like my money is as good as anybody else's. Um, you know, so it's it's really disheartening and and there's very, very simple things that we can do. Like we're working with the Chamber of Commerce at the moment to um to to launch a project called Clonability, which would um, you know, we we've made up a graphic with advice 
um, for businesses and how to make themselves more accessible. Uh, so, for example, you know, making sure that their tables and chairs are leaving enough room for people to get past. You know, instead of having these big clunky a a shaped uh, sandwich boards, put the you know your menus up on on the wall or up you know you can hang these placards. And there's a few, good few businesses businesses in Clon who do do this. They have their menus up on the wall. Um, you know, again, like the, like I said about the flower baskets. Um, then there's another issue about the disabled bays um, also being used as loading bays. That's a really big issue in town as well. It's, it's, it's a source of extreme frustration for us um, that because blue spaces are far and few between, um, you know, and it's... Um, yeah, we need to yeah, we need to protect them uh, all the time, we and do, of course, Clonakilty was uh, and very proud of the fact that they were first town in Ireland to become an, an autism friendly town. Wouldn't it be wonderful to see Clonakilty as a town that's known as a welcoming to all of all abilities? That's exactly it. It would be fantastic, and it, I mean, it, it it would be great marketing for the town as well. You know, bring in even more to it. Like I said, our money is as good as anyone else's. People with disabilities make up 14% of the population. I have friends all over the country uh, with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome as well. So we all, um, you know, keep in touch and we'd all love to be able to visit each other and like say to them, you know, Clon is a fantastic place to come for a holiday. But they're like, um, well, the public transport actually isn't great uh, and the roads aren't great. So that hurts them and things like that. So it's like every, every kind of, um, step to, to getting around town and, and getting to town and everything. It's it's just a, a, an arduous task and sometimes, you know, we just don't have the energy to, you know, deal with it on a on any given day, you know, to, to go, well, am I, able, am I going to be able to go here? Can I go alone? You know, so, um, and that's not the way that this country should be where, where people with disabilities absolutely, absolutely. have, well, to have you, somebody with them. Well, you, know? you are a terrific advocate. A listener says, I can't get out of my own housing estate with my wheelchair because the dips in the footpath are so high, it makes me feel very unsafe. I mean, that's just shocking. All right, yeah. listen, uh, Evie, we leave it there. Thank you for that. And uh, Thank thanks for joining much, us Trisha on the programme. Me. Good morning Thank to you. you. That is uh, Evie uh, Nevin, who is uh, Vice Chair of the Clonacilty Access Group and a wheelchair user herself. You're listening to Cork Today on replay phone and text lines are currently closed some of your thoughts coming into us this morning Mary who um, obviously came in on the interview that I did with Evie Nevin of the Clonakilty Access Group talking about just giving the shout out to businesses to please be mindful when you're placing your outdoor furniture but Mary is agreeing that what she has uh, noticed uh, is the amount of what she calls outdoor constructions that have popped out upside, uh, up outside restaurants since Covid arrived. Some have nearly taken over the footpaths causing pedestrians have to walk closer to the traffic. Also new footpaths Paths are being laid, which aren't allowing scope for a person with a mobility scooter to access. And she says the ones she particularly has in mind are the new footpaths that were constructed in Donorel. They don't have the dips to allow somebody with a mobility scooter or a wheelchair or even parents with children in, in buggies and prams to get off the footpath in order to cross the road. And just on, thank you for that Mary, just on, on mobility uh, scooters, Paul are listening to us in Dungarvan said I nearly got knocked down this morning in Dungarvan by what she describes as an old lad speeding through on his mobility scooter. So the messages for people who are on mobility sco- scooters to be careful as well and to be mindful of other people that are out and about. And thank you to somebody earlier this morning I mentioned that 
that there was a horse that was loose yesterday afternoon about four o'clock on the Cork Road in Mallow and somebody said there was an amazing young man who managed to catch the horse and put it into a field and it was actually class to watch. I was wondering could we find out who that young man was. Well somebody has actually passed on the name of the young guy. There's actually, there was actually two involved, Mark and John. Now I've got their full names here. Seemingly they're not from Mallow. They're both from Longford and they're down working in Mallow for the last couple of, of days but either John or Mark are obviously used to handling horses and knew how to handle the horse and knew what to do. So well done to John and to Mark from Longford working with us at the moment and who saved the day uh, yesterday. We mentioned the Sophie Tuscunda Plantier or we mentioned Sophie Tuscunda Plantier at the start of the programme because of this review, this cold case review now that is kicking off Byron Garda Corner. Could it lead? Will it lead to a prosecution? Only time will tell. But with all the advances in DNA, surely, surely something will come out from this cold case a review. That's prompted a listener to say, Patricia, what happens if Ian Bailey is completely exonerated from this terrible crime? He's been hounded by the media. He said books, he said TV programmes accusing him of this crime. And that's been going on for many, many years. He's basically under country arrest. He can't go anywhere. Could anybody please explain what would happen then? Well, I know Ian Bailey himself was one of the first out. He called for a cold case review about a year ago and he was first out yesterday when the news broke that the review is underway. He was the first out to welcome it and that's exactly what he is hoping is that his name will be fully cleared. 0818 103 103. Food prices in Ireland. We are the second most expensive in the Eurozone. Did anybody need to tell us that? But it's now official. These are figures that have just been released in the Central Statistics Office. Prices in this country were 17% higher than the average in the 27 countries that make up the EU. Prices for the various types of food in Ireland last year were all higher than the EU 27 uh, average, except for fish. That was the only one um, uh, which was 3% lower in price than the EU average. But everything else, we were higher. Milk were higher for cheese, were higher for eggs, 25% higher. The cost of oils and fats, 22% higher. And I know people in hospitality and people who run chippers are all talking about the price of cooking oil and fats have absolutely gone through the roof, 22% higher than the EU average. Breads and cereals, 20% more expensive in this country than if you were shopping in any of the EU uh, countries. And bear in mind, these are based on figures for last year. They're, I'm assuming, are not reflecting the increases that we've seen in the last number of months. The country is the second most expensive country in the Eurozone for alcohol. And we are the most expensive for tobacco of 36 countries surveyed by the CSO. But I suppose people can say we can do without alcohol and we can do without tobacco. It's the increase in the food prices, I think, that catches the most people. And of the 36 countries surveyed, the most expensive, who was ahead of us, was actually Switzerland and Turkey. If you want cheap food, you need to go to Turkey. Derek Cassidy, lots of people commenting, by the way, now on these CSO figures. Uh, Derek Cassidy of the Price Comparison website bonkers.ie we often speak with Dara on the programme he said the quality of food and drink in Ireland was generally considered higher but he says this does not make these figures any easier to digest he said we're constantly led to believe that there's intense competition in Ireland when it comes to the grocery sector that 
seems hard to believe when you look at these price figures and when you look at how expensive groceries are. Now, he also went on, of course, to explain that the effect of government policy and tax- taxation, that's clearly seen why we are so the most expensive for tobacco and the second most expensive for uh, alcohol. And we're miles ahead of the EU when it comes to what we pay for alcohol and tobacco. But that is purely down to uh, taxation. The Society of St. Vincent de Paul, they're showing no surprise at these figures from the Central Statistics Office. They are estimating that one in 10 people suffered from food poverty in Ireland. And they say that was even before inflation started driving up prices. So that one in 10 figure, you can take it, has gone even higher. They've already done their pre-budget submission. It went through yesterday to the government and they, like Social Justice Ireland, who we spoke with earlier in the week, they're looking for an increase in social welfare payments of €20 increase on the basic payments. They've gone further then. They want €12 extra for every child over over 12, 7 for children under 12. And that's what they've looked for in their pre-budget submission. Dermot Jewell of the Consumers Association of Ireland, who we only spoke with, was it yesterday on the programme? He he says it's now gone so bad for some families that the government needs to start issuing food vouchers to address the problem. He said that consumers now need more transparency into why our food prices are going up. And it got discussed, the whole, the whole issue around inflation got discussed in the budget yesterday or in the doll yesterday. There was quite some quite heated exchanges I saw on the, on the news. But the, an independent TD, a gentleman by the name of Peter Fitzpatrick, he said to Michael McGrath yesterday, who was taking leaders' questions, that a young family of two in his constituency, he said, has admitted to him that he can't afford to feed his family because of the rising cost of uh, grocery. Sinn Féin's social protection spokeswoman, that's uh, Claire Kernan, she said that food... Uh, for for people on low incomes and people living on social welfare is the one area where people try to reduce their spending and because of that she knows of a lone parent who was in talking with her at a constituency office saying that she's literally feeding the children their three meals a day but she's having two she's skipping a meal every day to try to save money on her food budget she spoke about an older gentleman who called in to see her who was really really struggling and admitted he doesn't go to the butchers anymore he used to go to the butchers every week but he simply can't afford to eat meat anymore and that's just some of the stories that are being highlighted by our government representatives and of course there's been this call and this came up yesterday again in the door that we have a mini budget I know the Sinn Féin party or one party in opposition who've been looking for a uh, mini budget and of course the government are hanging tough saying no the next budget is going to be October and that's when help is going to start arriving for people but there are so many people saying October seems so far away so I noted with interest earlier this morning speaking on national radio that the Green Party leader Eamon Ryan says he wouldn't object to the budget being moved to a September period, bring it back by a month instead of October. Now, he's very much against doing it today. So he's very much against having an actual mini budget now. But he says he he he, he certainly and obviously I'm assuming he's speaking on behalf of his the Green Party, who are one of the coalition parties. He wouldn't have any objection if the finance minister came in and said, look, we'll have we'll come back and do it a month early. So by doing that, they would be giving help to people a month earlier than asking people to wait until 
until uh, September. He did say that the measures in the budget need to be targeted as much as possible and he was particularly talking about trying to protect people who are at risk of of fuel uh, poverty. Uh, He believes that everybody in government needs to make sure that those at risk of food food poverty poverty are protected most and he said that will include a range of people who are not reliant on social welfare payments so it's not just about people for example who are getting the fuel allowance it's for people on low incomes uh, as, as, as well but he's again as with the other government parties ruling out a mini budget but saying he'd be in favour of having it in September 0818 103 103 John Paul's taking your calls you can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs Full time and weekend production operators are wanted that's for Alps in in Mitchell in Mill Street the application forms are available by contacting info at alps.ie a bar person is wanted for the Hibernian Hotel in Mallow here in your contact 087 781 Store manager is wanted at Casey's Furniture Store. That's on Oliver Plunkett Street in Cork. You need to email bernie.hennessy at casey's.ie. And community employment roles are available in Milford, Dromina, Liscarroll, Churchtown, Tully Lease, Newtown, Chandram, and also in Fremont. Further details from 085 866 4039. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. So many people complaining about the rising cost of most food uh, items. And I'm just after mentioning that uh, Central Statistics Office survey showing food prices in Ireland second most expensive in the uh, Eurozone. Eurozone. The only country more expensive for food is uh, Switzerland. Spare a thought for people who must follow a celiac diet because according to research from Safe Food, a gluten-free diet can cost up to €900 Euro more per year. Joining me is Sarah Kyo and Sarah is a dietitian with the Celiac Society of Ireland. Good morning to you, Sarah. Morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well, and you're welcome to the program. I support. I suppose just start by reminding people what celiac disease is. So, celiac disease is a genetic autoimmune condition, and in people with celiac disease, when they eat foods that have gluten in them, the gluten damages the lining of the gut, and it causes a lot of gut symptoms, so things like diarrhea, constipation, bloating, stomach pain. Um, but not everyone gets gut symptoms, and some people will have extreme tiredness. They might have infertility, repeated miscarriage, early onset osteoporosis. Um, They might have pins and needles, migraine. So it can affect a lot of systems in the body. So when someone does have celiac disease, it's absolutely essential that they have to avoid all gluten. It's not a fad. It's not a choice. It's not something someone is just making up. It's quite a serious disease that they do need to take good care of. Do many people suffer from it in Ireland? So we know that at least 1% of the population in Ireland will have celiac disease. So you're looking at, you know, about 50,000 people in Ireland. The big problem is that 75% of people with celiac disease don't know they have it. So we're missing an awful lot of people who are having these serious 
consequences of it. And we know that people with undiagnosed celiac disease get more bowel cancer as well. So we really want to be finding these celiacs um, and identifying them. God, that's, that's really serious. And, and, and I'm thinking there seems to be a huge amount of people suffering with um, IBS. I mean, some of the symptoms you're describing almost sound irritable bowel syndrome. Could some of the people who think they've irritable bowel syndrome be actually celiac? Absolutely. And it's a really common and such a really important issue for you to highlight that we know that at least 20% of people who think they have irritable bowel syndrome actually have celiac disease. And we find that even a lot of people who've been diagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome, their doctor may never have even thought of testing for celiac disease. So really, really important if you think you have irritable bowel syndrome, lactose intolerance, um, you have to be tested for celiac disease. How how, How do you get tested? So the, the most important thing, if you think you have celiac disease, and this is going to sound odd, the most important thing is to keep eating gluten. Um, sometimes people think, well, I'll go off the gluten and see, do I feel better? Don't. Stay eating the gluten because you need to be eating gluten to get an accurate result from the celiac test. So you stay on your gluten, you go to your GP, your GP will do a blood test. If the blood test is positive, your GP will then refer you to a gastroenterologist who will do a biopsy. And you need both the blood test and the biopsy to get diagnosed for adults. And, but it's important to keep eating gluten until you've had your biopsy. So sometimes we, we see people and they have the blood test and it's positive and they say, oh, well, I'll give up the gluten. And then by the time they get to the biopsy, everything's gone back to normal. So the, the, on the biopsy, they say, oh, you're not celiac. And then suddenly they'll go back on gluten and um, delay yeah, well. the diagnosis by another five to ten years. Do many children get diagnosed with it? Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, you'll see it in children. You'll see it in adults. The most common age to be diagnosed is between 40 and 60. But we do see lots of children with it. And it, it, we need to pick them up because children, so it can affect their growth. So we start to see kids maybe whose growth is slowed down. They're not getting as tall. Now, not necessarily. Lots of kids will kind of look like they're growing fine, but they're pains in their tummy. They're tired. They're just out of sorts. They're not doing as well in school as they did. You know, all of that sort of thing just to have a look at. And, you know, what often happens is, you know, the, the thing with tummy pain in children is uh, maybe they're a bit worried about something. Maybe mm. they're a bit anxious. And, mm. and that can certainly be there. But we need to rule out celiac disease before we sort of say, oh, it's, it's something, you know, stress related or things like that. Because we do see children who've had maybe two years of no growth. And I often, you know, when I'm talking to parents, it's like, when was the last time do they need a pair of shoes? Because if you have a child who's three, four or five who hasn't needed a pair of shoes in two years, that's a serious problem growth. You know, if you have any kids, they're going through shoes at quite a pace. So, you know, if growth is stopped, we need to, to really just check that. And you can have a child who looks like they're a good weight. But if their height hasn't been going up, that's a problem. So don't wait until the child looks skinny. They know, often yeah. won't. They just won't be getting tall. They just won't be needing the new shoes, needing the new trousers, needing the new clothes, you know. I was surprised to hear you say it was genetic. So if it's genetic, I'm assuming then you could have entire families. A whole family could end up being diagnosed celiac. And this is very true. And this is what adds to the cost as well. Because if you think about it, that if you have a child with celiac disease, according to the Safe Food Report, you're looking at at least an extra 900 euros a year on t- of a cost to that family. But if you have two or three children, which we definitely see at the Celiac Society as families where there's two, three children and a parent, that's a huge amount out of somebody's um, income for the year with that. So it is genetic. So if you have someone in your family who's celiac, you also need to be tested. So if you have children, parents, siblings, they should all be tested for celiac disease as well. Why is gluten-free food so expensive? Well, the big problem is, is that gluten is the kind of glue that holds bread together. And when you take it out, bread falls to bits. So when you're trying to make gluten-free bread, it's, it's a difficult process. There's different ingredients. Those ingredients are more expensive to produce, more expensive to buy. 
So to try and make gluten-free bread or pasta or things like that, it's just going to cost that bit more. Um, and this is the thing about the, the cost in the Safe Food Report is we're not looking at people get buying treats. This is not biscuits and cakes and people having foods that we could sort of say are not really that necessary. This is looking at your bread, your pasta, kind of your basics. If we look even at oats, oats themselves are gluten-free, but they get contaminated with um, gluten during harvesting and processing. So someone with celiac disease needs to get gluten-free oats. And they're 75% more expensive than ordinary oats. So it's just such a basic food. It's so much more expensive straight away. Yeah. And, and, but there's a lot more gluten-free choice out there than there was, say, 20 years ago. I mean, 20 years ago, I remember there used to be a section in The Chemist that had this awful-looking gluten-free bread. But now you go into every supermarket and there is a gluten-free aisle. There is. And there's lots, lots more choice. That's for sure. Um, but it's still expensive. And you were saying going into the chemist, you see, if you would go back sort of 10, what are we now, about 15 years ago, someone with celiac disease used to be able to get their bread and their flour on prescription from the chemist. And that was just a huge help, especially for families on lower incomes. But we just don't have that protection for those people today. And at the Celiac Society, we're working really hard to try and get one of those protections back in. And actually, the Safe Food Report has recommended that the, the gluten-free bread and flour should be back on prescription for children in Ireland and I think that's a recommendation that I really hope the government will take on board with that because we do see families who are really really struggling with trying to afford this as you can imagine I, I, So you're saying there's no financial support for, peop- for, for people who suffer from celiac? No direct support what we do have is if you are a PAYE worker you can claim some um, tax back on some of the foods at the end of the year so any if you keep your shopping receipts um, and what you'll have there is anything that's labelled gluten-free, you can claim back. But also, and it's just this year we've managed to, to do this at the Celiac Society, is that if you have the Celiac Society food list, that food list lists all the foods that are safe for people with celiac disease to eat. And if you keep your receipts and any of the foods that are on that food list are there, you can claim that back as well. So members of the Celiac Society will get this food list as part of their membership every year. So if they buy food from that, keep the receipts, they can claim that back on tax at the end of the year. God, that seems like a lot of hard work, doesn't it? Well, it adds up to, we were calculating it, it was like a 500 euro saving to some family. Oh, is it? Okay. All right. so it's, it's, worth, like, it's worth doing it. It's worth doing it. But it's got to be no, an easier, it's got to be an easier way, Sarah. Well, as I said, if there was a, there used to be a proper dietary allowance yeah, that people yeah. just got. And, and, I think why, and, when, and why, when and why did that stop? So that stopped around 2013. Um, and I don't know why, because reports have gone into the government all even around the time that they stopped it to say this was required. Um, so we've been working a lot over the years, but we, we've seen a lot more momentum at the moment and a lot more support. And we're delighted that Safe Food have done this report because it gives us, you know, another, you know, someone else is saying the same thing. This is expensive. And at a time, as you said, prices are going up, food prices are going up. People, you know, are struggling. We need to actually get support because this isn't a fad diet. This isn't someone who just woke up one day and said, I want to be gluten free. I can guarantee you every person with celiac disease listening would be delighted if the celiac disease could go away and they could just go out for dinner like everyone else, eat the sandwich like everyone else. Don't have to worry about the cross contamination and all of that. Yeah, one listener saying one parent, two children are celiac in our household. It's so unfair that our food is so much more expensive. At the end of the day, it's a medical condition, not a lifestyle choice for us, which is exactly uh, what you're saying as well. Because on the lifestyle choice, you do hear a lot of people saying that they're gluten intolerant and a lot of people say they feel better when they eat gluten free food. 
but a gluten intolerance is very different to what we're talking about today. So what, what I'll find is a lot of the people who would say they feel better on gluten-free food need to get a celiac test. They need to go back on their gluten and get celiac tested. But there is another condition which is called non-celiac gluten sensitivity. And it's a medically recognized condition for people who, although they don't have the autoimmune celiac disease, they do, their body is still reacting badly to gluten. And at the Celiac Society, we support people with non-celiac gluten intolerance as well. Sometimes people with non-celiac gluten intolerance can tolerate a little bit of gluten, um, but they do still need to generally restrict. Now, it was a fad there a few years ago for everybody to go gluten-free, and I think that's kind of caused a lot of confusion. But there are people out there who do genuinely need to avoid gluten, even though they're not celiac. Um, So I think we need to have a a little bit more compassion um, with that. Uh, Um, But just to say as well, we've opened a shop at our offices in Clondalkin, so we have some hard-to-get gluten-free foods there, things like dried herbs, because they can often be contaminated with gluten and herbs. things like that. Herbs? So is, yeah, because we often talk about gluten-free and we think, oh, bread and pasta, but gluten can turn up in your stock cubes, your tomato ketchup, your mayonnaise, your baked beans. So every year, the Celiac Society puts together a food list where we talk to manufacturers about foods that have no gluten ingredients, but also no gluten contact. Because if a gluten-free food touches gluten, it's now contaminated and you still can't have it. So we put that list together to make sure that celiacs in Ireland have a really reliable, safe, gluten-free list of foods. So everything. So, you know, as I said, you can look at your fruit yogurts, all of those things, um, and just double check and make sure that they are gluten-free, particularly for children. Okay, here's somebody sent me in a photograph. They've just been out shopping and bought some bread. One is a normal, standard white slice pan, one euro 15 and next to it is what I would describe as probably half the size of your normal slice pan, a gluten free sliced pan, four euro 19 and it's about half the size. Yeah. And, this and is four times about, the price. Isn't it? And as you said, it's a medical condition. Like if someone had to get a medicine we have the drugs payment scheme. If you're on a medical card, you've really reduced payments for it. But because treatment for celiac disease is diet, it's just abandoned. People are just abandoned to deal with it with no support from the government for that. Actually, I was on your website uh, yesterday and I was thinking to people, you know, how, how tough it can be if, if you're celiac, and particularly with what we're talking about today. But if you end up in a situation like Ukraine, a war-torn country, and I'm thinking, God, what would you do if you were celiac? You actually did a fundraiser to help um, the celiacs in Ukraine. We did. And, you know, I have to say a big shout out to our members. We have the most amazing members. I, I love the celiac community because they're just such a lovely bunch of people and really just are out to help each other. So what happens when the initial the war started in the Ukraine, very quickly what we were finding is that when people were fleeing and refugees, they were coming into, you know, reception areas. But if you were celiac, there was no, no one thought of gluten-free food. Yeah. And, you know, if children get this, they can have two days of projectile vomiting, diarrhea. Like, they're really sick with this. So there was an appeal put out, and in, we raised over €15,000 from our members and some, some non-members um, to be able to send gluten-free food to the Ukraine. And I have to say a huge thank you to the members of the Celiac Society, who are just a wonderful community, and oh. they really just got behind us. Yeah, I just um, thought it was that. the sweetest thing when I saw it. I was thinking, you wouldn't even think of it. But, of course, people who are celiac straight away would think, my goodness, if I ended up in a situation like that exactly. and I needed the gluten-free. Yeah. So, well done. Well, uh, well, uh, well done. And you have an excellent website that I would direct anyone who has been diagnosed with celiac disease or has any queries with regard to it to, to log on just give me your, your website address uh, Sarah celiac.ie and I'll spell that so C-O-E-L-I-A-C 
celiac.ie. We're also info at celiac.ie if you want to send us any questions. We're on Instagram at Celiac Ireland. We're on Facebook. So there's loads of places to find us. But don't be afraid just to email. We're yeah. a big support. Reach out. And ask us any questions, even about testing, about diet, anything you want to know, get in touch with us. We're here to support everybody, celiac or non-celiac, gluten intolerance, anything that you need. Okay, well done. I've enjoyed my chat, Sarah. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Thank you. Good morning to you. That is Sarah Keogh, who is the dietitian with the Celiac Society of uh, Ireland. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. Text WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Celiac disease and gluten free diets. A listener says it, it, it's come out as heel tea, but I don't know if that's um, predictive uh, text or not. But they make delicious, fab, dairy, and gluten free cakes, and they are made in. Formoy Healty is the name of the company. H-E-A-L-T-Y. Thank you for that. Now, last Friday on the programme, we had the broadcaster for Midwest Radio, Tommy Marin, joined us on the programme and he was talking about his new play coming to the Everyman Theatre in Cork. The, it's called The Three Hail Marys. It is such a funny, funny play. Now, it deals with the very serious topic of the three Marys living with dementia and their last day in the nursing home uh, together. So it's dealing with the serious subject of dementia, but he has he really has hit the perfect note in being able to deal with this subject in a hilarious way, but also in a very sensitive way. And I know I read reviews of a lot of people who went along to see this play because it's, it's co- coming to the end of a nationwide uh, tour and people who have a family member suffering with dementia all said he has really spot on with this uh, play. So the final two nights of the Nationwide Tour happening this weekend, Saturday and Sunday in the uh, Everyman. And as promised, Tommy did give us uh, p- tickets to give away. So we have four pair of, uh, pairs of tickets to give away to the final night, which is next Sunday night. So if you are free, willing and able and would like to go along to the Everyman next Sunday night to see Tommy's play, Three Hail Marys, uh, the first four callers to get through to John Paul now on 0818103103. That's by by phone, please. 0818103103. If you want to go along and see that play, call John Paul now, uh, please. In the meantime, I'm going to Malagarden Station where Sergeant Tony Cronin uh, joins me. Uh, good morning to you, Tony. Good morning, Patricia. And this is for this week's uh, Guard the File. You're starting with details of a burglary that happened in Mitchellstown. Yes, uh, Patricia, this uh, burglary happened in Mitchison uh, Golf Club last Saturday morning in the early hours. So we're talking about from 2 a.m. approximately to 6 a.m. So entry was gained into the premises where no property was actually taken, but there was um, an attempt to take property and to get, uh, obviously, financial means inside, and the proprietors um, or the culprits did not get in. Now, what we're looking for is um, anyone that may have seen a car, a van, motorbike um, in the area of Mitchison Golf Club in the car park. Um, there's a big high-rise wall um, bouncing the, the golf course, so you would see the lights um, of a vehicle inside, you know, mm. uh, out onto the road uh, from the distance where the car park is. So we're appealing to anyone in the public that was in the Mitchison area of Mitchison Golf Club Maybe you were travelling uh, back out from Mitchellstown or travelling home. You could be in your own private car or in a taxi and you may have copped that there was a car or a van either parked on the road or gone into it 
if you have any details at all, the Gardaí in Mitchstown would be delighted um, to get any information and uh, just say that um, there was excellent um, uh, security system in place here, Brilliant. so which uh, assisted and which resulted in these people culprits did not get any uh, items of property uh, from the premises. And I suppose a cautionary message for any other groups involved with golf clubs, GAA clubs, tennis clubs, you know, make sure your building is secure as possible. Exactly. And uh, try to do as much as you can uh, to protect what you have. Because say in this situation, like it's members' property, it's belonged to maybe a couple of hundred people and um, they're paying in their annual subs. So it's, it's uh, going to be a big hit if they lose any property. So... Um, uh, well done in the sense that uh, they had a very good security system in place. Okay, was there also a burglary in Watergrass Hill? Yes, uh, Patricia. This is in the Watergrass Hill to Carignavar area in the townland of Ballymenadry. It's um, a farmland area. And um, again, we're talking about last Wednesday night into Thursday morning. Now, this would be from approximately 9 p.m. to maybe 7 a.m. in the morning. This would be last Wednesday night into this week morning in the townland of Ballinadri. And uh, what happened here was there was a break-in to a farmer's yard and there was items um, taken which are of substantial value. There was a green uh, Yamaha quad taken. There was um, a power washer, uh, which is a petrol-operated power washer, and uh, an unusual item which would only be used for the farming community would be uh, a tail clippers um, for animals. So all these items are, are substantial value. They will come on sale. Um, they're very easy identified, the tool power washer. Um, it's a black um, power washer. And again, the green Yamaha quad will come on offer again because these are all um, items they'll want to move on quickly, get cash for. So if you know of anyone who's offering any items like these for sale or you hear of anyone who uh, has been approached, the Gardaí um, w- would love to get a call in this in, in Watergrass Hill who are covering this uh, area where the incident happened or any local Garda station to you if you have any information. OK, fraud messages are doing the rounds uh, again. And there seems to be an increase in the ones coming from the banks uh, are purporting to be from couriers and they want to deliver something to you. Yes, um, we're still getting uh, lots of uh, complaints from the public about uh, fraud messages from uh, allegedly from banks. And obviously, it's not from your your bank or another um, uh, bank, uh, or it's um, a message from a courier to say there's a problem downloading your details, uh, which um, we need to get further details to make your delivery to you. So they're trying to get you roped in uh, so that you'll give your details, and then they look for another bit to say that there was an underpayment or something to that effect, especially in the courier side of it. And uh, obviously, it's not from a courier. And whatever is paid then is lost and defrauded. So what we're asking the public is, please don't open these links. Uh, Delete them. If your bank uh, will contact you, they won't be contacting you with a message to say that you owe them money or to update your details or they've made an error or whatever it is. That won't happen. So any messages you get like that from your banks or purporting to be from couriers, um, especially if you're after receiving a message um, by courier, uh, you may think actually, oh, someone has made a mistake somewhere here and you may um, then give the details. Mm. So See, they're banking on the fact that so many people are getting items delivered and are dealing with genuine couriers. Yes, 
and um, it's the modern way now with the business is being transacted and a lot of couriers are you know uh, dropping off whether you're buying items of jewellery whether it is clothes um, football gear training gear whatever it is you can buy all these items online so uh, what they're trying to do is to get lucky once with one person and um, get their details from them so they can access their accounts and defraud them of some money. And there's also emails during the rounds pretending to be from the Gardaí about summonses and fines. Yes, this is a recent um, initiative where people have um, created a scam alleging to be from Angarda Shikana. And what they're doing is they're stating um, the person's name on the email and to say something to the effect of there is a summons in existence for you or there is a fine in existence and you can pay it through this means. And we're urging the public, please do not respond to this and delete it. It has nothing to do with Angarda Shikana and Garda do not contact any people by this manner. So please do not um, take any notice of this, delete it off your system. And again... The criminals are hoping that they're going to frighten people into thinking, oh my God, I need to pay this because it's, it's a summons and uh, it's not. Now, it is that time of year again. Carami, uh, 12th of July. 12th of July. So that's um, next Tuesday week. So it actually begins on the eve of the fair on the 11th where we will have probably traffic uh, restrictions with the volume of traffic. So again, the usual diversion will take place, which will be from Tupat House via Donnerill, heading uh, north into Donnerill, out to Lisbalyhe and on to Charleville, um, bypassing the town of Butfant. And likewise, if you're travelling from Charleville, you come to Lisbalyhe, turn off, uh, left for Donnerill, into Donnerill, Hazelwood, onto Tupat House and left into Mallow. It's the same system that has been in operation for years. And it works well. It works and well. And you only head to Butterfant if you want to go to Caramie Fair, if not avoid. Yes, but it will be in place on the Monday evening from maybe 6pm onwards okay. if it's required. But it will be in place on the day of the 12th until maybe 8pm from early morning to late PM. Okay, and very finally, there's, there's enough stresses with travelling at the moment. With just hearing again, more flights cancelled out of Dublin, but with Aer Lingus, and that's due to staff coming down with COVID. But the getting to the airport and all excited, and you're about to go through security, and you discover your passport is out of date, or one of your children's passports is out of date. Yes, what we find lately is that um, the adults will check their passports and when their passports are in date, they just automatically assume that the children's passports are in date. But unfortunately, there's a shorter time frame on a child's passport. So it's not the 10-year passport that you'll get. So it could be three or five years, and um, the parents may make a mistake in that and assume that the child's pa- uh, passport is, is in date, when it may not be, which may cause fierce confusion for the um, family when they're trying to go on holidays. And but also check how much... T- how much is left on the passport I saw at, at an airport a family trying to board a plane and one of the children's passports only had three months left on it and the particular country they were travelling to were insisting on at least six months left on your passport and therefore they weren't allowed to travel Yes, it's, uh, it does happen from time to time so seemingly the policy is to have at least six months left on your passport before you fly Yeah yeah, I'll check in with the individual country that you're flying with. Listen, uh, inform- mind of information as always, Tony. Thank you for that. Thank and you. Uh, we'll chat again soon. That is Sergeant Tony Cronin, who's based at Mallow Garda State. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. 
Now, retired grandmother Fiona Griffin from Tralee in County Kerry has joined the exodus of college students travelling to the United States of America on a J-1 visa. And she's spending the summer working as a camp counsellor. I'm delighted to say joining me from Camp Clearwater in Wisconsin is Fiona Griffin. Uh, good afternoon or good morning. It's very early in the morning, so we appreciate you uh, getting up. Good morning to you, Fiona. <laughs> Good morning, Patricia. Good morning, everybody in Ireland. Yes, it is. It's quarter to six in the morning. Oh. But I loved your choice of music there, Footloose. I'm bopping around my bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> now, how is it all going in Camp Clearwater? It is going very, very well, thank you. Um, it's a very busy uh, camp. We have 120 children, I think, uh, between the ages of eight and 16. And they are broken up into the different age groups. The eight to 10 year olds are in Harbour. The 10 to 12, 13 year olds are in Cape. And then the 13 to 16 year olds, 17 year olds would be on what we call Point, which is um, out on a little island attached by a bridge to the mainland. We're on the edge of, we're on Clear, we're on, no, we're on Tomahawk Lake here in, in Clearwater in Minocqua in northern Wisconsin and it's the most beautiful of areas uh, very wooded and um, nature all around us um, it's just it's just amazing so it it's sounds, exactly what you think I, of sounds I- idyllic a lot of wildlife around you I imagine a lot of wildlife around um, chipmunks just the, the places you fall over the chipmunks <laughs> every day of, of walking around squirrels deer um, painted turtles, bald eagles, um, one snake that I've seen, but I believe there are others around as well. Um, black bear is in the area, but not here where the camp is. They're, they're a little further north. Um, let me think. Uh, lots of waterfowl. We have a, um, a type of water bird called a loon. I'd never heard of it before, but it makes the most beautiful call um, song at night to the mate to its mate, you know, and you can just fall asleep listening to it. Wow. So yeah, teeming with wildlife. And when it's all, and I know I was looking at the camp online yesterday. I know it's an all-girl mm-hmm. camp, and and for, for little girls as young as eight, how long do they stay on camp for? Right. So there are a couple of different sessions. There's session one which is three and a half weeks. And then session two is another three and a half weeks. Now, some of the children are here for seven weeks for the full session. And then more of them are here for the three, the, the, the three, and a, three to three and a half weeks. Yeah. A little bit like so, our girls going, our boys going away to the Gwale Talks, but it's just eight-year-olds seem very young to be away from home. Absolutely. I, I thought the same thing, you know, but the majority of them love it. There are a few little ones, all right, who are upset and who want to, to go home. No technology is allowed here on, on the camp. So there's no phone calls home. There's no phone calls from home. They have to write letters <laughs> and the parents write the letter, le- letters back to the kids then. And camp is open a week yesterday. But even though I'm here longer than that, we were here for nearly three weeks preparing the camp and having staff training and all of that. But I think it's very hard for the young ones. But this is the way the American camps work. Yeah, you know? it's so and popular it's, it's, in America. I mean, it's it's, oh, it's a big part of popular. children's childhood. Mm-hmm. And their development and their, you know, they're taught to kind of, sorry, my voice is croaking no, you... we're talking all day. Um, they are, you know, taught to be self-sufficient. They are, they're helped to be self-sufficient, to dig deep and find their bravery. 
um, you know, that they're here for three weeks or whatever it is. Most of the ones that are here for the seven weeks are returning campers. So they know what to expect. You and know, they know the what it's they, like. And they'd be the older girls uh, as well. And they'd be which, the slightly older girls as well. Which, yes, ta- which takes me to the question, how did Fiona Griffin end up in Cape Clearwater <laughs> in Wisconsin? Take me back. Was, how did this whole decision come about? Well, um, I had to retire from my PAYE job in April and a couple of things happened. Uh, my mum went into a nursing home. Mum is 90, Nula. She went into a nursing home in March. I'm also a wedding celebrant and I didn't have any bookings for from the middle of June to early September. I did my last ceremony on the 4th of June and I flew out here on the 5th of June. So kind of my diary was cleared. I was a bit disgruntled that I had to retire. Um, I knew since January that I had to retire because of age. You know, the company I worked for, um, th- that's their policy. So um, started doing a bit of research on Mrs. Google and um, came up with this organisation called Camp Leaders, who place staff in summer camps for Amer- in America. Now, initially, I had emailed them, giving them my background and my age, and they said, no problem at all, apply away, that the American camps are very happy to take staff of an older age. Now, in a girls' camp, it's all women staff. Now, our chefs, yes, are, are men, but with women assistants. But, and the boys' camps in the area just take male staff. So, um but your age, Gosh. what your your that, that's the big difference with here at home, and I'm saddened to hear you mm-hmm. say you had to retire. It's something that just mm-hmm. so annoys me. But in America, that age doesn't come into it. No, not not for the summer camp work anyway. And then it turned out that oh yeah, so then Clearwater saw my profile. They contacted me. We set up an interview and I had a Zoom interview and then I was offered a position as an activities counsellor. I had been in the the interview, you know, we had chatted about I wasn't hugely interested in being a cabin counsellor, which meant I would live 24-7 with the children in their cabin. And like, it's amazing the work the cabin counsellors do. They're literally with the children 24-7. They hardly get time to shower. Mm-hmm. Or in here in Clearwater, we actually dip. The lake is a beautiful, magnificent lake. We use biodegradable shampoo and soap. And um, we dip in the lake rather than use showers. Now we <laughs> all have showers, yes. <laughs> so it's like, it's it's amazing experience. So as, a, as an acti- are encouraged. So as an activities counsellor, then you're not living 24-7 in a cabin with the children. I take it then you've your own cabin, is it? Or you share yes, a cabin I've with them? My, I'm, sh- I'm sharing a cabin with Grace Savercall from... Um, where uh, from Minnesota, she is the one of the camp nurses here. Okay. So we each have our own bedroom, which is which is fantastic. But how um, how, but yes. how did you end up with a J one visa? I thought J one visas were were, were for <laughs> students. You know, in between oh, while still goodness. studying. Yes. So, um, I got my tree free travel in April. Well done. And here I am, <laughs> up and down to Dublin, to the US Embassy on my free travel, and I end up getting a J-1 visa. <laughs> I was hysterical about that. So um, the type of work I'm doing comes in under a J-1 visa. Oh, okay. So I'm sponsored by Cultural Homestay International, and it is for um, kind of student exchange, cultural exchange, 
Okay, which is, exact, summer, which is exactly summer, what you're, you're doing. Yeah. yeah. And is there summer anyone else from, uh, from Ireland gone over there to work? There is. There's a lovely uh, young Dublin lady, Aoife McDunphy here. She is going into fourth year in nutrition studies in Dublin, and she's amazing. Then we have a, a girl from Turkey, Nels. Um, we have Nora from Hungary. We have Aga from Poland, and some of the kitchen girls are from Poland as well. And then there's five or six Mexican girls. The rest of the girls, oh, sorry, there's two from the UK as well, Emily Gray and Rebecca Headley. You're like the United Rebecca, Nations. Pardon? We are <laughs> like the United Nations, absolutely. <laughs> and do you know what? We do flag raising every morning at five to eight and the Irish flag is, is usually up there. <laughs> ah, God, that's so fantastic to hear. What was Easy. your family's reaction, Fiona, when you said, guess what, guys, I'm going over to the States on a J1 visa. I'll see you in September. Uh, absolutely. Um, I suppose a little bit of surprise, but they know me well enough. They've been hearing me. They've heard me talking for years about wanting to travel and live abroad for a while and work abroad for a while. Um, yeah, a, a little bit of surprise, but I mean, my 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 I have four sons, a bit uh, very supportive, you know, when they kind of got over the shock. I do believe when I explained to them the type of work I was doing and where I was going, it made it easier to accept because I'm in a very safe place. We're very much a community here, like a, a family. Um, the staff are absolutely wonderful, as is the director, the director, Beth Owen. She's new to taking over the camp this year. And um, then Kat, Bradley, Kat Bramley is the head counsellor. They're both very interactive with us. They're with us all day. They, you know, they're around, they eat with us. The children and the staff just love them. Mm. We, you know, they're so approachable. You can come to them with any little problem you have. Um, I've, I've gone to them on a few occasions in tears saying I'm feeling homesick, want to talk to someone, you know. So you do um, you do get days and moments like that? Oh, I do, of course. I mean, I have five beautiful grandchildren. I have two in Cork. So um, Connor and Daniel Quinlan in, um, what are they called? Burlington Drive in, in near Douglas there. Okay. So um, they, uh, they're nine and four and I have triplet granddaughters in Dublin, Molly, Chloe and Megan. And I miss going to see them. I miss yeah. the hugs. I miss the kisses. I miss the, you know, the unconditional love you get from them. But look, it's for 10 weeks. They know I'm coming home. Um, and you sound and like you're having a ball. So you've got no regrets over what you're doing. None whatsoever. <laughs> yes. Missing them on one hand. Yeah. But loving what I'm what doing an, on the what, other But hand. just just what an experience! It it it, it it's just absolutely yeah. uh, fantastic. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it 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 really is just just what an, an experience. And and when you mm-hmm. do come back to us, Fiona, and we know you will come back to us. Oh. I mean, you're so energetic and the get up and go attitude. <laughs> and I mean, I love the fact that you're you're a wedding uh, celebrant as well. Celebrant. Long term, have you plans for the retirement? You're obviously going to do more than just be a wedding celebrant. Oh, I, I would hope so. I wanted to do this trip and this experience first to see how I got on, to see, you know, what what I could do next. Um, I have started a TEFL course to teach English abroad. And um, now I'm afraid it's fallen by the wayside a little bit here because our Wi-Fi signal is so bad. And as I said, did I say earlier, phones are not allowed yeah. on the camp at all. So I can only have my phone in my own bedroom. 
and um you, you know there, there's a lot out there for people to do and it'll take a little bit more research and um, Alaska is on my bucket list but I think Alaska in the summer would be better than Alaska in the winter <laughs> so what you're saying to me is this is not your last tra- travel overseas I hope no. it's not my last one no. I hope it's not my last one yeah you know I've done a pile of traveling over my life I've been very fortunate in that way my mum Nula is a it was a wonderful traveler when I was growing up she was in trekking in the Himalayas and touring India and you know things like that so we so I certainly got that side of me from her the apple doesn't and fall far from the tree is no, what you're saying it doesn't <laughs> fall far from the tree you know and um, she knows what she reared so <laughs> would you so, a, I mean you're I, I just think you're absolutely inspirational would you encourage others to say that there's nothing you can't do if you set your mind to it oh absolutely Oh, my God. Yes. I mean, you 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 know, um, physically, I always tell my mom, you gave me the wrong birth cert, you know, like, what were you at? Um, because I don't reflect what my birth cert says <laughs> to myself, you know, um, because I'm full of excitement. I'm full of adven- adventure, just love um, seeing new places, doing different things, trying a lot of things once. If I don't like them, I won't do them again. Um, you know, there's not a lot I wouldn't consider doing. Uh, jumping out of an airplane now would be one of them. I wouldn't go skydiving or anything or bungee jumping. <laughs> That's just a bit beyond me. Keep your feet on the ground. Listen, you I'm are you are you are a credit to our country, and those girls in Camp Clearwater are darn lucky oh. to have Fiona Griffin with them this year. So enjoy thank every single so moment of it, Fiona, and thank you for taking time out to talk to us today. Lovely to talk to you, Patricia. Good Take morning care. to bye you. Bye bye, bye bye. What a lovely, lovely lady, Fiona Griffin, as as you say. Isn't it sad that she, when she said that she was forced to retire uh, in uh, April? What a loss to our society and to our workforce that somebody with with Fiona's get up and go is forced to retire. We so have to look at that in this country and stop this just because somebody hits sixty five or sixty six that they are forced to uh, retire. So we wish Fiona Griffin from Tralee in County Kerry all the very best of luck. Uh, for the rest of her time in Camp Clearwater in Wisconsin. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie And a reminder to you of that ladies gala evening that is on in Middleton College tonight. Starts at 7. Hair and beauty transformation. Spot prizes. Uh, Eunice Power, the chef from the afternoon show is going to be there and proceeds are going to Middleton College student Alison Dorley who joined us on the programme this week to outline her journey to Ghana. She's going there to work with underprivileged children next month and tickets will be available at the door tonight of Middleton College and we wish Alison good luck with her fundraiser tonight. There's a table quiz in aid of Galley Head Swim that's going to be held in O'Donovan's Hotel in Clonakilty tonight. Starts at 8. Proceeds are in aid of Marymount West Cork Underwater Search and Rescue and the Irish Community Air Ambulance. The Kildallery Community Office, their next draw is this afternoon, 4 o'clock. That's in the, the jackpot will be €4,100. Euro. Tickets are still on sale uh, locally. 
at all of the usual outlets. And the Kildallery that stay with Kildallery because their festival is celebrating 50 years this year and it kicks off tonight with Reading in the Years from 8 until late. Friday has Mike Denver and his band. Saturday has Abba Esk and Sunday uh, has, has a family fun day from 12 noon until uh, 3. And Mill Street AC will host the annual Willie Neenan five mile memorial road race that's happening tomorrow night walk starts at half seven and the race at 8 15 there'll be refreshments afterwards in the gaa hall court today on c103 with sean cusack insurance's kinsale now part of mccarthy insurance group for motor home business farm life and health insurance cmig.ie Thank you to people taking time to send in messages saying how much they enjoyed the my interview with Fiona uh, Griffin, the granny from County Kerry, and she off on her J1 uh, visa working at the camp in America. I think it's terrific. What a great get up and go uh, attitude. It, it really is uh, fantastic. Now, by the way, congratulations to our winners of tickets going along to see the three Hail Marys next Sunday night in the Everyman Theatre. This is Tommy Marin's play and it is the end of a nationwide tour and it's described as a rip-roaring comedy that centres around the three Marys on their last day in a nursing home and they all suffer from some form of dementia so they all are at different levels of memory loss and it is described as a really funny play but a very touching and very poignant play and this Saturday and Sunday we here in Cork will be the last to see it on this nationwide run and Tommy has given us the four pairs of tickets to give away to Sunday night's performance. Norma O'Driscoll, Dom Manway, congrats Norma. Gabriel Tully in Nad in Bantir. Elizabeth Lawton is in Glamworth and Valerie Dean is in Burnford. They will all be making their way to the Everyman Theatre on Sunday night. Congratulations and have a fun night uh, out. And this is, I meant to do this during the week, but got sidetracked. Someone had been on to us about the public toilets in Formoy. Well, a number of listeners, in fairness, have been on about the public toilets in Formoy. A couple of weeks ago, they had to get clo- closed. There was vandalism and they were closed. I think it was over a Sunday and a Monday. Now, they, the council got in did the work that needed to be done after the vandals had left and they sorted out the ladies' toilet and the disability toilet. But we had a number of people onto us saying that the men's toilets were still closed and when we got onto the council they said, yeah, they were waiting on parts and that there was a bit of a delay uh, on it because the vandalism was more severe in the men's than it was in the ladies and in the disabled toilet. So, Cork County Council have been back to us to confirm that the men's public toilets are, are currently closed because of the vandalism and seemingly what happened we didn't know this at the time was the hand dryers were removed from the wall dear God they pulled the hand dryers off the wall and of course the hand dryers work on electricity and the elect- the electrical wires were then exposed so you can understand why it was closed and remains closed new hand dryers have then had to be ordered and they've got to wait for these hand dryers to come in install them and then once they're in installed the men's toilets will reopen and they are hopeful that they will reopen in advance of the regatta this weekend so fingers crossed that those hand dryers have arrived and the toilets can reopen but that is just it's bad enough that the vandalism happened and people go in and you know daub all kinds of things on on the wall and you know mess the place up and it has to have a deep clean but to actually pull the hand dryers off the wall makes absolutely no sense to me. 
some of your calls coming in 0818103103 by the way pet questions you can get those into us because Jane Pickett our resident vet will be joining us so if you have a pet question for Jane now is the time to contact us 0862103103 that's the number for the text or a WhatsApp if you want to text or WhatsApp your question uh, please get them in now on the budget and should we have a mini budget now when I mentioned this earlier because of the cost of uh, living and people struggling at the moment John has a theory as to why the government are holding out until September. John believes the reason that they won't go for a midterm budget is to do with the fact that ministers and the finance department and all the rest of the government are looking at sold out concerts, concerts at Croke Park, Porky Cueve, the marquee flying with the crowds last number of weeks and people queuing up to get out of the country look what's going on at Dublin airport so when they look at that they're thinking to themselves why would we go for an early or a mid-term budget but as John says we all know we have a two-tier society yes there are one, there is one section of society who may still be paying the higher price of everything but they can afford to pay the higher price but it's the lower group what do they reckon 20% of the population are the ones who are really struggling at the moment. So John reckons that's the reason that the government are not going to go for a mid-term budget. And then Mary, on everybody struggling at the moment, is pondering, you know, could wanting the government to help out not not to wait until October it's too far away but she's making a simple I think a simple enough suggestion she says could they not go and do something like even reduce the VAT the VAT at 23% could they not just reduce that to 21% she said it, it would be small but any little bit of a change would make a difference and it would reduce everything that's that has a VAT rate of 23%, it would bring it back to 21 So would it not, you know, is that not something that they simply could do and could do it now rather than have a, a mini a budget? Not a bad suggestion. I think a lot of people would agree with you on that. We were discussing celiac disease in uh, in the last hour on the programme. And Michael is also a celiac sufferer. Actually, I can't get over the number of people who have contacted us to say they're either suffering from celiac or have a member suffering from celiac. Our entire families are two and three people in a family suffering from celiac disease and obviously if you've got more than one person in the family with the price of the gluten-free food you can really understand how those families are struggling anyway Michael is a celiac uh, sufferer he feels the biggest problem is to get decent food for people with celiac disease he said in all food stores there's a minimum amount of space given to gluten-free shell on the gluten-free shelf space he feels it's disgusting plus the fact that what is available is not fit for the birds of the air not to mind a working person he thinks it's disgraceful throughout all of the food stores. Furthermore, he said some fast food establishments don't even offer a gluten-free option. It's shocking, particularly if you're out on the road and need to get, grab food while on the go, says uh, Michael. OK, yeah, it's some of the gluten... And, and I can speak from experience here because while I'm not celiac, I did go down that route of going to a specialist because I was suffering and it looked like I was celiac and I did have to go through all of the tests and I'd been diagnosed as one of those. What was the last consultant said to me? Treat yourself as, as an undiagnosed uh, celiac. So I, I can tolerate a very small amount of gluten but it's a very small amount. If I tip the balance slightly over I certainly will know all about it. So I follow where 
uh, almost 100% I follow a gluten-free diet so I'm one of the ones in the supermarket looking at all of those uh, gluten-free foods on the shelf and you're right there is a, a small enough amount of food available but it has gotten better than say 10-15 years ago when there was little or nothing the bread can always be an issue I think for for the gluten-free bread if you toast it I think untoasted it's not great but I find toasted it isn't uh, too bad but yeah it's a bit of a struggle I mean I, I like to cook everything from scratch so that way I know that it is gluten-free and food on the go yeah I would agree with you on that uh, uh, Michael it is it is a problem but I think listening to Sarah the dietitian, I thought she was excellent this morning L- listening to her there are so many undiagnosed people with with celiac disease in this country uh, that because the amount of people that you and I know when we, for example when we do our piece every week with Annalise Trussell every single week without fail we'll have people coming on talking about stomach uh, issues and people identifying as IBS a lot of people with IBS could actually have celiac disease but it's the lengths you have to go through to actually get that diagnosis as one consultant said to me a few years ago you're going to have to need to go back to Eat, eating gluten make yourself very unwell and then I'll be able to tell you if, if you have celiac or not and I think for that reason it kind of puts people off so you know therefore that's why the celiac society do acknowledge that and they do look after and recognise people who just like me follow a gluten free diet rather than going and getting the actual full diagnosis 0818103103 also coming into us there was a text earlier now if I can find it because I got the answer for this uh, listener saying hi Patricia my husband recently received his pension aged 66 my query is he didn't qualify for the fuel allowance I thought everybody getting their pension was entitled to a fuel allowance thanking you uh, Patricia this is from a kiss a a kiss came listener now listen you're not the first person who thinks that, that as soon as they hit pension age that there's a lot of other benefits come in there are there are other benefits kick in but not everything kicks in the fuel allowance is and has always been a means tested payment which means that when you reach the age of 66 like your good husband has and he gets his state pension his contributory uh, pension he may be entitled to a fuel allowance but because it's means tested the easiest way to do it is it's the means testing is the contributory old age pension and you're allowed to earn or bring into the household up to an extra 120 euro a week so if for example you're working and you've got an earning obviously it's the family it's the family budget if you're earning over 120 euro a week then obviously your husband wouldn't be entitled to the fuel allowance or if your husband has some kind of a private pension and if his private pension pays up more than 120 euro a week that comes in as means and therefore he's not entitled to the fuel allowance but if you're saying you're telling me that he only has a contributory pension and that can include things you know as he gets older it can include living alone allowance it can also include a dependence if that's all he's getting then he should be entitled to the fuel allowance but as I say it is a means tested uh, payment and the fuel allowance there's been a lot of talk about the fuel allowance with people living in fuel uh, poverty it's paid out to over 370,000 people in this country and that's made up of predominantly pensioners but it's also widows and widowers job seekers uh, are entitled to the fuel allowance lone parents and people with uh, disabilities so if he's earning outside of the state pension then that's the reason that he's not getting the fuel allowance 
uh, is because it is a means tested payment. 0818 103 103. John Paul, taking your calls, you can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. And we are in particular looking for your pet questions, please, because Jane Pickett, our resident vet, joins us next. Court today on C103 with John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And by the way, just very quickly, uh, Jane, our Fiona was back to us. Who uh, Fiona Griffin, the granny out on in the states on her J one uh, visa, who's working in the camp for the summer. She forgot to mention she has a fantastic Instagram page uh, set up. It's a retiree on a J one visa for anyone who'd like to uh, follow her along. And she puts up daily posts on it of what she's doing, and it's fantastic to watch what uh, Fiona, our retiree from is getting up to so that's retiree on a J1 visa on Instagram if you want to uh, give her a follow okay Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket part of the Mystery Veterinary Group joining me on this Friday after Thursday afternoon good afternoon to you Jane good afternoon Uh, you're very welcome let me get straight into a question that came in bright and early this morning from Lisa who has a cockapoo who is scratching a lot especially when she gets hot or if the weather gets anyway hot she's wondering is it fleas because her spot on treatment is all up to date okay so this is a really interesting one there could be a number of causes I think first and foremost the thing I would my mind would jump to is to make sure our parasite control is up to date um, and it sounds like that's the case. So just make sure that you're using it as per the, the suggested schedule. So if you're not certain from the back of the pack, you can always contact your vet and they'll be able to guide you as to what, what frequency you need to apply that particular product at. And also just to make sure you're using a, a really reputable and effective treatment for parasites. So make sure it's something you're getting either from your pharmacist or your vet, because generally we'll be able to prescribe products that we know work really well and are safe for your pet. Um, Going beyond that, there are a number of different causes of itching that are not parasite related. So sometimes it can be um, an infection. So an infection of the skin or an overgrowth of yeast is really common, particularly in the in the warmer months when things are kind of quite hot and humid. And particularly if you have a longer haired breed or a breed that has kind of roughly skin. Now, cockapoos can have longer hair. So I suppose it's making sure that the skin is able to breathe so that they're up to date on their grooming and they have nice kind of short season appropriate hair. So they don't need to, let's say, have a, have a 10 blade. They don't need to have a, a full shave or anything like that during the summer but just to make sure it's it's groomed there's no matting and that the skin can breathe because that makes the skin less likely to have infections and less likely to have things like yeast overgrowth where they're you know a warm wet environment like long hair is is really good for that other than that summertime is a biggie for allergies so very much like ourselves, i know many of us are hay fever sufferers myself included and you know there's lots of things out in the environment all year round which can be triggers for pets and they can have like kind of low level seasonal skin allergies now some of the biggies for those are pollen and grass pollens but it could be anything very much like humans dogs are all different in what they react to so there's no one kind of one size fits all plan what I would say is for your pet, if they're still itching despite good parasite control, it is time to visit your vet because there are so many different causes of itching from skin infections to yeast overgrowth to allergies to food allergies. It's really important not to kind of take a hit and miss approach with this. 
this and just to have a really structured um kind of plan as to how about going finding out what the cause of the itching is and getting relief for your pet because i know nobody wants to be sitting there looking at their pet being really distressed and itching obviously we care a lot about them and we want to make sure they're comfortable so i really feel at this stage you need to get a vet involved they'll need to be able to they'll do a full physical exam and it may be the case that the, the problem may be obvious and there may be an obvious solution just after a physical exam but in many cases they might need to take some some swabs of the skin or little tape strips of the skin so that we can assess what's going on on the surface but under the microscope so it allows us to see things like bacteria and yeast um, and sometimes parasites in other cases so there are many many avenues which we need to go down to fully diagnose skin disease in some cases it can be a one-off and a very simple fix and in others for example allergies or skin barrier problems they might need a longer term management so i'd say pop to your vet with this one make a plan yeah one of the hardest things i think for vets is yeah. to try to work out what's what's going on with skin conditions um a question Absolutely. for jane uh, i have three yard cats that i've been feeding for years and years and years will they ever settle in a new location if we moved them my plan is to move them to a new area which would be smaller but would have a garden so i don't know if they're okay. quite feral but uh, she is feeding them and has been for quite some time okay this is an interesting one so if they are let's say very feral cats and they only come to let's say the food when you're not near them if you're never able to kind of pick them up and have a have a cuddle or you know pat the head and have a cuddle then they may be let's say they may enjoy their freedom too much to be moved um so i think if you have let's say cats that are quite kind of wild in the environment they wouldn't normally come up to you and don't kind of have uh, an attachment to you that will kind of extend to physical contact so that we'll be able to pet them then they may be less stressed if they're not moved from that environment because it is possible that they may not settle and they may just scarper as soon as they're they're given the chance to go outside now what i will say is if you are feeding the cats and they've let's say become they've kind of formed a bond with you to a degree they're not very wild yard cats or anything like that and let's say they come for food and you're able to give them a little pat on the head and they're very regular in their appearing for food and they're around the around the place quite a lot. It is possible you could successfully move them to a new location. Moving cats that are very used to their freedom to a new location, however, comes with extra difficulty versus, let's say, a classic pet cat that will be living a, an indoor slash outdoor lifestyle. Because generally we'd recommend that pets are kept inside for a number of weeks after they move so that they learn that that house is their new home before they're left outside because unless they kind of have a strong association with the place and their scent is all over it they might go outside and get lost and not know their way back and maybe even just not really have a great attachment to their new location so if you have a situation where the yard cats are used to very very wild freedom they're not used to being kept locked in it could be quite stressful for them to go to a new location first and foremost and then to be locked in for several weeks um obviously with food water contact and lots of petting but it may it, it's a very difficult situation and i suppose it really depends individually on how wild the little cats are their attachment to you how well you feel they'd cope with being kept inside for a period of time to acclimatize to the new area before being left out so i think it is it is a very individual one unfortunately so difficult to give a hard and fast answer it's definitely possible and another uh, listener uh, has a baby on the way, but the Jack Russell sleeps in the bedroom. They're trying to break the Jack Russell of the habit uh, before the baby arrives. Any tips? 
Okay. Um, I think you're you're definitely making good move trying to break that habit before the new arrival arrives because if you try and do it on day one of baby being home, you know, there's too much upheaval for your little pet. So really trying to stagger those changes is a really great move. So well done with that. Um, I think it, my main tip will be create somewhere really, really nice and attractive and comfy for your pet to sleep. I would normally suggest in situations like this, crate training is really, really good. So maybe get a little crate uh, but make it super, super comfortable. You don't want it to feel like a cage that they don't want to be in. You want it for them to feel like they're, it's their little den. So they want to feel super, super safe. And that'll do two things. It may mean that your dog may find that nice, peaceful, quiet area more attractive than sleeping in the bed with humans that might be rolling over and snoring in the middle of the night. So it might it might solve the problem immediately. But also, when, you're, when your baby arrives, it might be a bit of a noisier environment. So you want to create a safe space that your dog can go to in a quiet area of the house where he has this little den. It's all nice and quiet and calm. And also, when you have a young child around, it is important to be able to just be able to secure your pet somewhere because obviously, when we have young children it's really important no matter how much we trust the dog to make sure they're never left unattended so I'd suggest maybe going towards crate training and making it into a really nice comfy comfy environment that's attractive for your pet to stay in may help in in, in a lot of ways Okay alright listen we'll talk again next week thank you for that Jane have a lovely week You too and, thank uh, you And thanks for joining us that is uh, Jane Peckett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital part of the Mill Street Veterinary uh, Group just before I go quick couple of uh, texts uh, in on celiac hi I'm celiac I have to pay €4.20 for a small loaf of bread which doesn't have holes in it like this one says Caroline and Kilo was a centre on a photograph of two slices of bread with two massive holes inside in it a particular brand obviously of uh, gluten free bread somebody else says after uh, no sorry uh, unfortunately this is uh, unfortunately I missed out on this section of your show where you were dealing with celiacs I failed to understand why it's called celiac disease. My husband is gluten intolerant and has been officially diagnosed as such. I can't fathom why the word disease hasn't been uh, dropped. Well, as was explained in our in our piece with the Celiac Society of Ireland, celiac disease is very different to somebody being gluten intolerant and celiac disease is a condition. It's an, an autoimmune condition that attacks the, the tissues when people eat gluten so it and we went we actually went through that on our piece the difference between somebody who is suffering from celiac disease as opposed to somebody like your good husband who is suffering who's gluten intolerant and probably following the very same diet uh, but it's very different to well, not very different but it's it's a different diagnosis to celiac disease thank you for that and somebody else says on the um, fuel allowance is it not contained in the household benefits package and it's not the fuel allowance is paid in addition to the household benefits package. Okay, that's where I wrap it up for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing the programme today. Eric is with you for the afternoon. He's in for Nick all of this week and we will be back with you tomorrow morning for the last one of the week for Friday's edition of the programme and we'll kick that off at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. A very good afternoon and look after yourselves. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.